0: This is a podcast from 3RR102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio.
1: Hello and welcome to Plato's Cave, a triple R film criticism show and podcast. I'm Paul Anthony Nelson, and joining me in the Cave tonight are Sally the Slayer Christie.
0: Paul, oh, That's a good one. I, you know, I, I was really taken with my introduction last <laughs> week, Paul, I've <laughs> got to say. But
1: Her satanic majesty might yeah. be making a comeback. going
0: to stop making my students call me that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Just write it on the board. Point to it. <laughs> and Emma, the Eliminator Westwood.
2: <laughs> the Eliminator. I thought, always thought that my roller derby name would be um, Emma Dilemma.
1: Oh, nice. Pretty yeah. good.
2: Don't you think so? Yeah, I like yeah. that.
1: Yeah. If I could skate. <laughs> <laughs> if I could roll or derby. Yes. <laughs> On tonight's show, we'll be trekking out to the frozen tundra of Siberia for director Milko Lazarov's Aga. Back to Paris for director Dominique Rocher's zombie horror drama The Night Eats the World and as this week's retro title, writer-director Jack Hill's bizarre 1967 horror horror comedy oddity Spider Baby or The Maddest Story Ever Told. But first, uh, we just want to pay a short tribute to Peggy Lipton who died of cancer overnight at the age of 72. It's a bit of a surprise. I didn't know she had cancer.
0: Yeah, I don't know that anyone was aware that Peggy Lipton was ill. And I think, yeah, it came as a big shock to everyone. And it's a really sad loss. She was great and also a shame that she seemed to be in supporting roles a lot of her career too because she was a really great actor. And
1: went through a lot of gaps too, didn't mm. she?
2: She did. I think she did, uh, she uh, dedicated her time to being a, a mother at one stage. She she bowed down before the great ego of Quincy Jones, who she was partnered to, and um, for fifteen years, right? Quite a long time. Yeah, yeah. They they divorced in nineteen eighty nine, I believe. But uh, had two daughters and Rashida Jones. Um, most people will probably know. Nowadays, she's been in a lot of things. I know for myself, I've watched a lot of Parks and Recreation, which she's in.
1: That's where I was going to go, and also the office yeah. early on, and a few other things. That's
2: right, she was too. But, but um, pe- yeah, Mod Squad yes. was her thing that she started. Yeah,
1: and then of course the uh, the the greatest, the foremost crafter of uh, cherry pies at the <laughs> Double R Diner. Uh, Norma Jennings in David Lynch's Twin Peaks, and of course she was one of the many who came back fabulously for 2017's Twin Peaks: The Return, and And
2: she she, was looking great. She looks
0: amazing. She was Mm. her and Ed one of the few that got such a nice. Sweet storyline, yeah. I think, in yeah. Twin Peaks The Return. It was yeah. There was a a lot of sweet, heart.
2: <laughs> not, not a lot of sweetness.
0: In no, the there <laughs> wasn't, but those two, it, it was a real joy.
1: Two of the few who weren't caught in a yeah. horrifying temporal loop. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Peggy Lipton was fabulous throughout her career and she will be missed. Now let us travel to France to see what a new horror film has done with the old Z-word in The Night Eats the World. All Sam, played by Danish actor Anders Danielson lee wants to do is grab his old box of cassette tapes from his ex-girlfriend and move on. But when he arrives at her place, she has a massive party in swing, and it's a bit of an effort to find him. In no mood for a party, Sam eventually finds his stuff, locking the door of the room for a little privacy and manages to get a little shut-eye to avoid the festivities. When he wakes up, His ex's flat is empty and covered in bloodstains and debris, and Sam soon discovers some sort of viral outbreak has occurred while he was sleeping, very 28 days later, and he finds he has little option but to barricade himself inside the building and try to survive until it all blows over. Except it doesn't, and Sam is in there for months, clearing all the food out of the other apartments, laying dead bodies to rest with respect and trapping, but not killing, a zombified doctor who lives in the building, played by French cult actor Denis Levant, as a sort of pet. Will Sam choose to move on from this haven and with his life, or will he go increasingly insane and join the land of the less than living? Emma, did you find this to be a novel take on the zombie subgenre, or was it just another shambling mess? (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting,
2: the take on this film... The French Film Festival showed it and they decided to really play down the horror aspect of it and say this is basically a horror film for non-horror people, which um, quite possibly is correct, but I find it difficult to work out what the actual pitch is. Who is this for? Because it does have some interestingly, you know, gory horror effects, but it's quite a... It's quite an ambling, um, introspective film, mainly because of I guess the 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 brief that he is. He's kind of like the only man alive. It's very "I Am Legend," mm. you know, the Richard Matheson with, book, which then Will Smith and Mamega Man. Well, it, <laughs> numerous versions of "I Am Legend" have have occurred across history, uh, and uh, there was. There were parts of this that I liked and then there were parts that I thought um, could have been better. It had sort of two... Um, Dream fantasy sequences Shall we say The first one was so startlingly obvious And annoying Yes. And then the second I thought was better Mm -hmm. I think it worked worked much better Um, But there was something About the way that this was filmed I think there was a missed opportunity I mean we just did seconds recently I'd like to see it shot like seconds You know black and white Wide angle paranoia uh, That really brings you into the head of the person It just seemed to be a fair Pedestrian way of shooting um, this remarkable event, mm. uh, and I didn't get the. I didn't really pick up on the drama. It had bursts of it, let's just say, but um, it didn't. It didn't have me. It should have had me on tenterhooks a whole way through, and it and it didn't have that. Unfortunately,
1: it does, doesn't it? It mm. kind of. It, it has these these moments where you, you, you're kind of thinking, ooh, this is interesting, and then you're like, oh, we're still here, aren't we? Yeah. It's, it's kind of... sell. how do you feel about this?
0: Um, I think with the zombie genre, it's, it's difficult. It I is. think it is such a difficult thing to try and tackle, to go and try and do. It, it always seems to be in fashion. It never seems to kind of go out of style, zombie films, zombie TV shows. Um, but to Breathe any new life into it seems to be a hard task. The I think the last zombie film that I saw that I really, really liked was probably *Train to Busan*. I thought was yes. great. Mm. Um, having said that, I do think the approach of this film was interesting uh, for what it is. Where we're saying that you know a guy's sort of in an apartment building for months at a time, it should be a lot more dull than what it is. Mm. I. I was engaged by it, but, Emma, it was interesting what you just said then. That it should be filmed like seconds and we should be able to see this paranoia and we don't see that. You're completely right. We don't see that. And if that had have come through, it would have been a bloody great film. I
2: think, mm, I think yeah. there, was, there was more that could be done. Mm. Yes. More that could be done. Also, um, I guess... my one note I said Mm -hmm. about this film, the the fast or slow zombies. This has fast zombies. I think we we were just having a big... Conversation about Yeah. Whether zombies should be yes. slow or fast before we went on air. Yes. And uh, Sally said that someone said, Georgia Romero's dead. Sally My husband give a look. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't going to out yeah. him, but you did. <laughs> yeah,
0: he said that. He's like, Romero's dead. The zombies can be whatever and he speed would they be want.
2: A, he would be a slow zombie if he came back. And I think yeah. there's something about that, that that says, I feel that the word zombie uh, evokes slowness to me.
1: Yeah, I think the that whole too. The
0: definition. Uh, so we're both on the slow zombie side. What do you think, Paul? I'm
1: slow or fast. Look, I, it, it depends, because <laughs> one of my all-time favourite zombie films is 28 Days Later. Yes. Yep. And I mean, again, there's debate over that, over whether that's actually a zombie film, mm-hmm. uh, as well as one of my other favourite so-called zombie films, Wreck.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, both yes, of those have fast a, zombies. And it's they're both, more fiction. It, yes, it? it's more viral
1: yeah. and people say those aren't zombie films technically. But um, And, you know, we don't really know what this one is. We don't know how they're reanimated. We don't know what causes them. I mean, we assume a brain shot kills them. There are a few people that seem to have shot themselves in the head before turning and, and, and so forth. There's a couple of things I did like about this film quite a bit. One is... Unlike every other mainly American zombie film of the last 20 years, it wasn't an excuse for someone to basically play a cinematic version of House of the Dead and headshot everybody. I like the fact that if the zombies were no threat, he wouldn't shoot them.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's like you mean the, House of the Dead, the arcade game,
1: correct? <laughs> <Okay>. Not the <laughs> not all, and all the terrible UV Bowl film version, but like the arcade games. Like everything is always like you watch these shows, and it's just like bang, bang, every opportunity, blow a zombie's head off. And I like that this guy was like, well, if they're not hurting me and I am not hurting them. I'll leave them.
0: Yeah, this movie definitely I I went into this going, okay it's a new zombie film Um, and it wasn't what I expected and that certainly I don't think was a bad thing I I do think that The way that they went into this was interesting, and I haven't really seen it done in this
1: kind of slower pacing before. I think you were bang on before, Emma, about I Am Legend. I I think Mm. the the thing this reminded me of the most was the first half of The Omega Man. Mm. That sort of, but without Charlton Heston's enormous (laughs) (laughs) teeth.
2: Is that Charlton (laughs) (laughs) Heston's?
1: I might have to work on that.
0: Come back to us. oh uh, yeah,
1: week. yeah. Look, I'll I'll do a little study. Uh, but it was that's what it kind of reminded me of. It was almost like that. You know, when you're watching, particularly the Will Smith one, and the first half's really good, and you're like, I wish this was the whole movie. Mm, and this yeah. is kind of what that is. Mm. Um, but I don't. I think you're also right in the way that it doesn't quite know how to sustain it. I feel like they should have just doubled down on this sort of thing he filmed it a lot more interestingly cut it to about 75 or 80 minutes Mm. and just had just made it this beautiful kind of meditation on because i think at times it seems to be sort of about the need for community
0: yeah oh definitely a lot of that came through was just the need of companionship community whether it be with a human or an animal and i i thought that was another strong point about this film was the way that that was, you know, kind of woven in the need for, you know, and being the, with something.
2: And the um, idea that um, it was community, it's just people as community, I think this you, you can get the sense of um, this being a Parisian response to the violence in Paris mm. over recent years. Absolutely
1: the same. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. Mm. I think it's definitely felt like community in regards specifically to Paris.
2: Yes. And and creating that in this idea of the apartment block which you don't have in I Am Legend, but this idea of stacks upon stack and moving through the different... the floors and the ceiling of the apartment. I like that. I thought that was quite nice. I don't... I wasn't quite sold on his musical stuff. (laughs) We never knew. We just kind of got a vague hint that he was a muso
0: and it was just a bit all over the place, wasn't
2: it? It was was a little bit... I felt like at some (laughs) stages that it was... Ben Lee in the, (laughs) and he was going to play Catch My Disease or something. Do you know what I mean? Could you imagine if that happened? That would have been a better movie. No, no, not at
1: all. It it, (laughs) it wouldn't have It (laughs) It would have been stabbed. It's a veto on that. It's, uh, he liked to dabble in different musical styles, you know. Um, I, I yes. actually did like that he had the time to create this bizarre kind of multi, multi-dimension, like uh, multidisciplinary kind of playing bottles and spinning tops. And I, that I kind of like, because what are you going to do with your time yeah, exactly. if you got it all yeah. yourself? But, yeah, I, 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 I get the feeling that, yeah, for me, this was very much... I thought it had a lot of good ideas. I thought it was a, a vaguely interesting take, but not kind of it didn't quite sustain it enough and nor was it novel enough to really mm. hit me and it just yes. kind of winds up being a, a solid effort.
2: Yeah. And it felt like it was just it was just riffing on so much that's happened before and not necessarily adding anything really new to it, but just taking from other things. So the I am legend, but also what you mentioned, Paul, with twenty eight days and twenty eight days later. Even there yeah. was points when I
0: was reminded of the Dawn of the Dead remake. Mm. Um mm-hmm. In the, the rooftop stuff. across
1: to... Uh, yeah. yeah, the
0: rooftop stuff with the paintball gun really reminded me of that. Um, mm. Visually, I, this really reminded me of Shallow Grave, Danny Boyle's first film. Oh, oh yeah. 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 Like, I get really that. It really like, It really reminded me of Shallow Grave a whole lot.
2: And it's colourful. Mm. It's not dark, mm. especially when he gets to the stage where he's collecting water on the roof in various colourful receptacles. Yeah. I didn't think that that was such a a, a bad thing, um, but I did also, and also the fact that he managed to create that um, from above the empty Paris, you know, which yeah. which they did with Twenty Eight Days Later with yeah. with London, which
1: was really oh, that's, spectacular. It did have me wondering what the budget was on this because there are a couple of scenes where he's like yeah. lots of smashed cars and some serious. And production is, yeah, I design and the same and lots thing, that of it felt
0: like there was a substantial budget behind this film.
1: Yeah. Mm.
2: There's I think they were a bit rough on the cat.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The cat. <laughs> cat gets it roughest, I think.
2: The cat gets it rough, but which is another <laughs> I am legend recall yeah. in some way, the idea of a pet. This was yeah, this was very derivative. Yeah. Now that we talked through it, yeah. more and more in in so many in, in so many places was derivative. But I think we should as you mentioned in your intro intro, Denny Levant, yes. who is just wonderful he's a wonderful zombie he's an amazing actor anyway he's acted in some of the most incomprehensible films leo carrick's films so if anyone can tell me what holy motors means i'd like to talk to kylie minogue so she could tell me what holy
1: motors (laughs) we'll have her on
2: next week
0: oh fantastic (laughs) now kylie will be here oh kylie
1: i just think of his um his dance at the end of Beau Travail, the Claire Denis yeah. film, where he's just going mental to Rhythm in the Night. It's just amazing. But, but he gave a thrilled.
2: lot of personality to he that. Did. But then that's also felt like a recall to um, Day of the Dead with, um, yeah, with um, Bubba. Bubba. Bub mm. Bub. Bub. Yep. That's right.
0: Yeah, that was initially when I first saw him, that's instantly what I thought of was Day of the Dead. Yeah. Because I thought oh, is he going to, you know, make a pet out of him? What's going to happen with
1: this character? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I think, yeah, definitely very derivative. But but I did like its empathetic look on things and I did like that it was uh, trying to make a comment. I, and I think and I'm glad you sort of agreed with, with me in this on the whole Parisian need for community. As oh, well. absolutely.
2: Um, absolutely. I think that's really... Um, that's sort of one of the more obvious things, like, without ha- hitting you yeah. over the head with it. It's mm. just the way, you know, um, the horror genre can work, the beauty of the horror genre.
1: The beauty of the horror genre. <laughs> doesn't have to be elevated. Horror is fine where it is. It is. <laughs> the Night Eats the World is now screening exclusively at Cinema Nova. You're listening to a podcast
2: from Community Radio 3RRR in Melbourne, Australia.
1: So that next movie is Jack Hill's nineteen sixty-seven oddity Spider Baby. Or the maddest story ever told. (laughs) (laughs) Where do we begin? After a rather jaunty version of the theme we just heard, a square jawed young gentleman reads from a manual telling us about the Merry family, cursed with Merry syndrome, a malady that sees its sufferers regress to a mentally younger state as they get older, and if they get old enough, through infancy and even a prenatal level of intelligence, not to mention a taste for human flesh. Through an unfortunate mailman, we get to meet the Merry family through siblings Elizabeth, Virginia and Ralph, all young adults with infantile intelligence. Virginia in particular likes to play a game of spider which involves trapping said mailman and slashing him up with two carving knives. When their caretaker and chauffeur, the unafflicted Bruno, played by Lon Chaney Jr., returns to find this scene, he does what he always does, cleaning up after them, disposing of the bodies and making sure they stay safe. But the letter being delivered was from a lawyer's office. It turns out the Marys have relatives who seek to seize the property and put the Merry siblings into proper care. And they're arriving today! As Bruno and his children meet their cousins, Emily and Peter, and their lawyer, Dr Schlocker, and his secretary...
2: (laughs) I love Dr Schlocker. Dr
1: Schlocker. Will this culture clash result in the death of them or an end to the curse of the Mary syndrome? Sally, were you driven delightfully insane by the maddest story ever told?
0: Well, I was. This was my my (laughs) retro pick for the week. And I just think when you've just done a little synopsis then Paul it is one of the most batshit films (laughs) ever and what's not to love about Spider Baby and but also then you're going through this it's kind of like um, if you read out the synopsis of a John Waters film or say about what's going on in those films and you go my god that sounds like the most macabre thing I've ever heard but then when you watch it it's funny and I wouldn't go as far as saying it delightful but um, I
2: would <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, we'll you, you read, there. you read the the you know you, you, the storyline. It's yeah, it's dark material, but it's not presented. Darkly. Absolutely not. No. Like it
0: is, it is so funny, and it, I. I this film, Spider Baby, opens up with the song that we just heard, but a more joyous version, which Paul said, and it opens up with a little cartoon sequence. And the whole film really does feel like a cartoon to me. Like, even, I won't go into the climax of it for people that haven't seen it, but it is like one big live action cartoon.
1: It is It is it, like a de- the most demented episode of Scooby Doo. Yeah, it really. It's like Scooby Doo uh-huh. on Mescaline. Yeah. <laughs> Is kind of what this film is.
0: <laughs> I think it was Jack Hill's uh, Jack Hill's first film that he directed solo. Yes, as well, oh, um, which okay. is interesting. So Jack Hill is a great exploitation great who did Coffee, lots of other great films. But yeah, this was the first film feature that he did
2: solo. I was going to suggest Coffee as uh, um, uh, one of our retro
1: <gasps> films before this. But I thought maybe I,
2: we need to wait. I actually,
1: Coffee was the one my second choice.
2: Get out of town. Not even kidding.
1: Yep. It was between coffee and the killing.
2: How about that? There you go. Coffee and the killing. I don't. I, I fail to see the similarities between those films, but anyway, <laughs> they're both good. Yeah, they're, they're both, both good. Both, both
1: distributed both good. by MGM. And UA. Both, yeah, Yeah, yeah.
2: Um, I think. Uh, yeah, Jack Hill's a very interesting filmmaker, and uh, yeah, black exploitation, women in prison films. Yes,
1: the big bird cage and the big mm-hmm. dollhouse. Yes.
2: Yeah, they would be. Also, the the cousin Qu- played by Quinn K. Redeker. Anyone, any fans of um, daytime soapies will know him from the. Young Young and the Restless. I certainly did. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Very recogniser. Oh, I can't remember. The blonde
1: guy with the square jaw. The guy reading. This
2: one that loves everything. Yeah, 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 yes. Oh my god, he is such
1: a.
0: Peter is, I think, perhaps my favourite character in Spider Baby. (laughs) He's great because he's so so agreeable to everything. (laughs) They're at dinner and they're eating a dead cat, and he's like, (laughs) sure. Oh, why, is not? why not here's a bowl of grass i'll eat this
2: delicious it's a great why outfit not? ralph <laughs> <laughs> the the also the two um the two ladies or the young ladies <laughs> of our our um of our uh our narrative beverly washburn and jill banner i think it was jill banner's first film jill banner is more the spider baby of it so she's the one who likes to catch people in her her web and Catch spiders and um, and then Beverly Washburn is this kind of you know this sort of Sandra Dish ish uh, little blonde with the little tiny pigtails and the kind of the 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 head crooked to sort of one side and and I and I love that that they sold that like oh we're so lovely little girly sort of thing reminds me a little of um baby doll
0: yeah oh, yeah Carol yeah Baker, the way girl. that um they are presented really makes me think about baby doll. And then, and then there is a
1: bit of Southern Gothic going on here, oh, even though it's I, clearly set in California. Yeah, isn't I right? yeah. feel
0: that that there's a whole lot of Southern Gothic going on in this film.
1: Because I was trying to think, where does it come from? What are you know? Where, where does this film emerge? <laughs> oh, no, and so, it is yeah. this weird mix of Southern Gothic Americana and you know, kind of recent yeah, you know, post Psycho kind of horror. And, well,
2: yeah. that house on the hill—that's a Psycho house, you yeah. know. You know that that whole thing. The house on the hill with the dumb waiter. I mean, what would have had dumb waiter? Is, I wouldn't know what a dumb waiter was except for horror movies. <laughs> yeah, you <know>? it's true. <laughs> and <laughs>
1: yeah. particularly like Seriously. 60s and 70s mm. horror movies as Absolutely. well. Like, like, they went in a fashion after that. Also, too, as, their, as the sibling's brother, Ralph, um, oh, was, Sid, I think, the Sid debut Hague. of Sid Haig.
2: Oh, was this Sid Haig's first film? Um, he was No, he was in a short um, of Jack Hill's before. Oh, the, but was is. his yeah, first yep. feature, yep. right? Yeah, yep. I didn't realise So he's that. Jack Hill's
1: boy and then he would turn up later in such things as Coffee and Foxy everything. Brown and, yeah, and, and so it's, many and things. Everything. Yeah, it's it, it, he's great.
0: There is so much, um, clearly Rob Zombie loves this film a lot because there's, you watch this and you see so much of House of a Thousand Corpses is in this film, you know, kind of re- this is a really nice family mm-hmm. horror. And Sid, Sid Haig was Sid, in that. Yeah, Sid yeah. Haig is Captain um, Spaulding. Yeah, Captain Spaulding. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, you can kind of really see its lineage go through there. Yeah,
2: that. absolutely. And I think that uh, I read something, and I don't know whether it's true or not, but a rumour that uh, Sid Haig was uh, offered the role of Marcellus Wallace in Pulp Fiction.
1: I would not that he be surprised. Sold, by
2: yeah, that. that he turned down. A time it was a time when he wasn't actually acting, yeah, yes, (laughs) exactly. But so, look, the thing about I think what we're trying to you know establish here is this idea of this very eclectic, interesting cast because Lon Chaney Jr., as well, this was one of his final films, and he's not looking great. And this is Lon Chaney Jr., as opposed to Lon Chaney Sr. Phantom of the Opera, um, and Lon Chaney Jr. was Wolfman. He, he was, was wolfman. the Wolfman. He yeah. gets
1: to quote the Wolfman in this, in this movie. I know.
2: Yes. There's so many like great little <laughs> references like that going on. In but he's Baby. looking, you know, he's looking particularly jowly and sweaty and everything in this. And uh, I think he was, you know, a, he was an alcoholic and he wasn't in the. Best. Uh, apparently, when they were shooting this, it was um, over a hundred degrees most days, and they had to sort of give him cold towels and everything. Oh wow! But also, it's an interesting film because it was released. Well, it was made in nineteen sixty four, but it wasn't released until nineteen sixty seven. Yeah, didn't wasn't the, didn't the production company run out of money, or there was, because was they some they invested kind in of real estate. <laughs> and the real estate market bombed, so then it couldn't it couldn't wow. be released. It's fascinating because I think can you imagine this? Like the sixties is a really accelerated time of change. So sixty four to sixty seven is quite massive. There's mm. different big, yeah. big differences. Because it was interesting when I rewatched this, it looks
0: like it was filmed a lot earlier than what it was. It looks like it was filmed even earlier than sixty four. Mm. That has I don't I don't know. There's just something about it that. Seems it's not more than that. There's it's, an arch comic
1: yeah. tone that's almost yeah. kind of Frank Tashlin esque yep. at times, particularly yeah. with the cartoon opening credits. Like that's one thing that really blindsided me the first time I saw this film because I saw this film at Miff when they had a screening yes. uh, about ten years back. I think it was when the remastered version came out. And I read that synopsis that you were talking about. I'm like, this sounds creepy as shit. This <laughs> sounds like a pre Texas <laughs> Chainsaw Massacre. I am down. And then I watched it. It's like, like after the theme comes up, like what the. Fuck is this? And then it's just like it's it's like so cartoonish. It's so odd, and, you know. Someone gets trapped in a window. It's just like <laughs> lift the window off yourself, mate. You just know,
2: pull the net off. It's That's okay. all you need to do. It's, you're you're not, not really trapped,
1: <laughs> yes, exactly. And even this time, it's like okay. I know it's a comedy, but still he' <laughs> drives me crazy. That, that but
2: cartoonesque opening is much more like the fifties. Exactly, you know, the 50s. it's a mm. very
1: fifties yeah. kind of tone. Yeah. But then you've got this, you know, this sixties, very mid to late sixties, dealing with darker themes um, as well, which is something that was seeded in the fifties, definitely. Mm. Um, you know, the, the films were becoming more adult. But yeah, it is, it is a real bridge between those two eras. And Jack Hill, as well, was a contemporary of Francis Coppola. Um, he was a you know graduate of the Corman School, and 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 so. There is that kind of film, you know, film buff generation thing going for him as well. Like you know, the whole thing of having Lon Chaney Jr. quote the the, the Wolf Man while they talk about Universal horror films around him, and it's you know, he's he's one of that. It's sort yeah. of that generation beginning to bloom. Yeah. And so, yeah, it is a real bridge between these two. It's, it's, it is, it is, in a lot of ways, it is kind of a film stuck out of time.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. feel that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I absolutely agree. I think it was trying – it almost feels like it's trying to hit that um, – the teen drive-in market – was in 1967 the teen drive-in market as big? I mean, Absolutely. it was still there, but oh, yeah, it, was, it raged
1: yeah. right through into the early 70s. It like, did. All right. I mean, American International Pictures made a fortune out of it.
2: Mm. I think I was there in the mid 70s with my parents, but <laughs> <laughs> no.
1: well, they were teens. <laughs> <so>. <laughs>
2: See but, the team yeah. driving obviously, worked, <laughs> it for obviously them. worked for them. We wouldn't <laughs> have Emma got <laughs> otherwise. Please tell me you were conceived
1: in a driving. Please, I've asked,
2: I've asked my mum that, and she's she's kind of a bit vague on it. I don't know whether she wants to reveal that much to me. That's a Hi, yes. Hi, mum. <laughs> I have to say to you guys, though, what I I thought... I'll just look it up. Sometimes on the way here, I think, especially with interesting little films, I'll look them up um, uh, on a podcast, see if anyone's been talking about them.
1: (laughs) Podcasts that aren't Plato's Cave,
2: Emma? Podcasts that aren't... Well, this one. This one is particularly spectacular. So it was... um, Called Spook Factory, and they were talking about Spider Baby. And when I listened to, when I put it on, I thought, "Oh, they sound young." (laughs) Their their catchphrase is "Live from Satan's Den." They're two ten-year-old boys commentating about horror movies. What the hell? And they chose to do Spider Baby. They said they did that. They were going to do The House of Wax, Vincent Mm -hmm. Price, but they decided to do um, Spider Baby. And this was only recorded last. Year, so I, I I take heart in this. I think this is, you know, the future. The future is okay.
1: There's hope. <laughs> there's hope for Gen Z yet.
2: <laughs> and I have one more plug to mm-hmm. give to something else. Mm-hmm. If anyone uh, enjoys Spider Baby, please try and seek out Mumsy, Nanny, um, Sunny, and Girly, which I got to see on the weekend, which is another screwed up batshit demented family film that everyone needs to see but British in this way where
1: adults act like children and are kind of yes, mentally regressed Exactly kill amazing
2: film British. You've got Mary's disease
1: Mary's syndrome I sorry. looked it
2: up online and it doesn't exist
1: <laughs> I can't believe you thought <laughs> It's got the book at the start has the most amazing title and I'm, I'm I'm so annoyed I didn't write it down. This shows the book at the start of the film that he's reading from. It's, <laughs> it's diseases like the, like the disease and
0: book. oh yeah, what is it, it called? I forget.
1: It's yeah, it's something crazy and a joke in itself. It's <laughs> it's a f- it's such a fun film. <laughs> so we you,
2: had fun. We had fun,
1: and you will have fun too uh, if you jump on Amazon Prime and Spider Baby is now streaming there. Triple R. Not for everyone. For anyone. Now for our final film of the evening is uh, now it's uh, now I've blanked on the name. Milko. Because not because I just think not Sally's imaginary friend in Home and Away. I thought you were just talking about me there. No. Was like,
0: How did you know? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Milko Lazarov's Aga. Now Uh, This features uh, Nanook and Sedna A pair of old nomadic Yakut reindeer herders Their herd long since dead Have lived in a rustic yurt In the frozen Arctic Siberian tundra for 50 years While Nanook spends his time digging the ice to catch a few fish and making traps for small and large animals, accompanied by his only very cute dog, Sled, (laughs) pulling his sled. Very cute. It's very beautiful. Through large snowy white spaces, his wife, Sidna, takes care of chores, gives him a helping hand uh, from time to time and secretly tries to heal a nasty wound in her stomach. Nanook sometimes observes uh, airliners um, from a place, ...place far, far away... ...as well as sees reindeers occasionally... ...a reindeer occasionally appear in the distance. Um, like, life flows with ancestral traditions... ...barely punctuated from uh, by a visit from a young man named Chena... ...who brings them firewood and kerosene from the city. This couple, they're, they're quiet but loving... ...and what little conversation they have turns nostalgic... ...particularly regarding their estranged daughter, Aga... ...who left this barren land a long time ago... ...to work in a distant diamond mine... Their life is both beautifully simple and horrifyingly dangerous as the elements threaten to tear their yurt apart, and Sedna, knowing she's not much time left, yearns for her and Nanook to reunite with Aga. Will Nanook forgive his only child for leaving and seek her out again? Emma, did you find this beautiful journey did you find this a beautiful journey into the fringes of an increasingly lost society or just a cold dead fish? <laughs>
2: <laughs> there were dead fishes in there. And not in the gangster type of way. Which is probably more my type of way. Mm. <laughs> but no, nobody slept with the fishes. No, that? no. There's uh it was um this is I, I will say straight up, this is so not my jam, right? I would never go, Yay, Aga. I'm going to see Aga.
1: Yay, um, you Inuit, Inuits. Yay.
2: Yeah. You know, yeah. I've seen the Nook of the North and all this sort of thing, you know. But um it's there there was something about this film that i found appealing as it, it, once it, came, it it revealed its whole hand and it moved through to its its end. In fact, I found it really touching. I felt a little bit weepy towards the end. Uh, it is though a film that I think you know all films are made for the cinema. I will say that, but this is a film that you really should see on the cinema, at, in the cinema. It's um, very wide screen. It's really I don't know what it's shot on, but it looks like it's shot on film. It It is shot on film because there's. I think the giveaway is more less less the um, wide expansive snowscape shots and more of the internal inside the yurt shots where you've got uh, it's quite it's quite dark, but they manage to capture these beautiful um, light contrasts and also these beautiful contrasts with different. Browns and it was so warm and gorgeous. Actually, it looked really nice inside mm-hmm. their yurt. Mm. Um, it looked really cozy and and you know which was obviously um, on purpose because this you know it's a particularly harsh environment outside. But you know for I, I thought that this was going to be unfold in this kind of sort of documentary sense. In fact, it was interesting because it did kind of play on a documentary. I felt until that. Um, Uh, a young man comes back. I wasn't sure. Was he their son?
1: I wasn't sure about that either. Yeah. I don't know if he was uh, their son. I mean, God, you want to say someone from their village, but what village? What village, yeah, Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that was unclear. But But, he knew where they
2: were and he knew their story.
1: The little girl was the only one that was in the photos ever, though. Yes. He never was, so I, I... Knew, I figured he wasn't their son, but I don't quite know what relation he had. And he to had enough of unclear. a
2: connection to them to feel moved mm. by stuff. But when, only once he came in, I went, "Oh, this! Oh no, this is truly fictionalized." Mm. There was something all, all of a sudden that it became a bit more actally shall we say yeah. uh, and, and and that was a little bit jarring for me for a moment and it took a while and it's kind of like I had to get my head around the rest of the film and then there's a, there's a sort of a journey that goes in a, a different I didn't expect them to go away from the kind of the fulcrum of the film, the locational fulcrum but um, it ends up in, without saying anything it ended up with probably one of the most spectacular shots I've seen in cinema this year, uh, I, this incredible I, Pullback. I would say ever. It was incredible, <laughs> wasn't it? It's it herdsong. Yeah, amazing. Isn't it? Yeah, like just completely gobsmacked by yeah. the end shot of the film. <laughs> I mean, this is a film for everyone to come and see the end shot, if anything. <laughs> but it was very much, I felt really environmental message there was so much stuff around the environment because of the loss of their um their homelands the reindeer going blah 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 that focus on when you know um any sort of motorized vehicle went you'd see the oil patch yeah. left the a dead animal the 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 blood patch um, yeah surprising not my thing but it did it did get me in there it did
0: yeah I like you, Emma. I would never seek a film like *Arga* <laughs> out, and I am so glad that I saw this. I, from the, the first shot of it, I loved this film. I thought it was so beautifully executed. It had mouth theremin? The, yeah, the mouth. Oh my theremin, god! Amazing, the incredible. I kept looking. Where's the string? I know. How it's is she plucking? Absolutely that? <laughs> amazing. But just the way that this film looked at. The sort of stillness and their daily rituals and the quietness of their life I found really soothing almost in, you know, some kind of way. But the cinematography in this movie was absolutely breathtaking. I, like Ember said, see it at the cinema. It is something to be held it was so so beautiful and so we see this film look at this kind of stillness of this couple's life and their sort of daily rituals but also they seem to be clinging to this mythology that is no longer there they're the only ones that are clinging to you know i guess their family traditions and there's no you know no one else for miles and yeah it was really heartfelt and really really special and I'm really glad that I saw this because, like I said, I would never seek Gar out and it was amazing.
1: It seems to be a running theme here because I started watching this and again, not something, not subject matter <laughs> that would immediately arrest my attention. And within a few minutes, I'm like, oh, this feels like. The kind of film I never knew I needed right now. I just need to sit there and be calm and look at beautiful long
0: shots. I was really relaxed by watching (laughs) this film. Yeah, it
1: is really soothing, and 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 except for the time, then you know they've got to stop their yurt from blowing over, and when they're out, you know. But there's. I, I found that the central couple really beautiful as well like mm. they had a really sweet relationship and it you know it, it wasn't this whole sort of oh we're wiser than thou sort of thing that you would kind of get with this sort of movie like there's you know they they obviously quote from tradition and things like that and and so there's a few moments like that but then they have these you know lovely little conversations as they go to sleep as well and remembrances and and I just... I was counting the amount of cuts at one point until about half an hour in because there's only like 100 cuts in the first half hour of the movie. Oh wow. It's really, really meditative and then it sort of, you know... I wouldn't say quickens up, but um, there's a great rendezvous, a great um, past meets present rendezvous with a truck driver Mm. later in the film, which is quite amusing. Mm. Um, And...
2: Oh, yeah, it wasn't without humour. No. Which was, but, and, but very natural humour. Yes. It felt like part of it without, you know, being cloying or anything like that.
1: And that's the thing. I thought this film was so close to great and it was just punctured a little bit by... For the first two-thirds of the film, the only music used in the film is diegetic. Mm-hmm. It's it's on a transistor that's in mm-hmm. the yurt, or it's in um, Marla,
2: I think it was, or something like that. Yeah, symphonic, Mala. yeah,
1: it was beautiful. <laughs> yes. um, and you know, obviously, the the woman with the mouth theremin at the start, and and you know, they'd sing and things like that. And then all of a sudden, about th- when the I guess the film starts to take shape and more of a a plot begins to occur, this huge music score, which be- which on its own is beautiful. But kind of crashes into this film. And, um, sorry about that. Just too in demand, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> um, Ting! That was your brain That was my brain going, hey, I had an idea Or was the composer of the movie going, don't you mock my score But but the score kind of crashes into this movie and ladles on And gives this film a bit of a a level of sentimentality that I don't think the film had I felt that when that score
0: kicked in it was very noticeable as well I did... It didn't take away for me, though, but it was extremely I noticeable. I liked it. Did you? Mm. I, d-
2: I liked it. I thought it was part of the um, encroaching outside world. Yeah. Okay. I liked the way that it, it, it brought that in and, um, and, a, and a different level of sentimentality because I think that they probably... The, the survival instinct, you know, you even have to process emotion in a different way. So it was kind of like bringing that west or the outside, just the outside, whatever it mm. was. I thought it's time... At, for a while, I thought it was going to... Arga was going to be our Rebecca, like from the movie mm. Rebecca, the, the person... Because that's the name of the daughter that we would never see. We do actually get to see her. Um but, yeah, I thought, yeah, I I, I like that way the music works. In fact, I really liked it.
1: Wow, I like your yeah. theory. I just felt, I don't know, there's a couple of cues in particular scoring certain moments like, wow, this is really telling me how to feel. And it,
2: I, I let it dictate
0: there's my a drop, feelings 100%. There's a drop, oh, I was there's quite quite a drop, happy for it too. Yeah. There's <laughs> a character
1: drops to the knees at one point and the, music, and the drums go, and it's like, oh, come on. No, you're not this movie. Don't be this movie. But... I have to say that, it, it, look, I, I love, I, in general, I, I, I really love this film. <laughs> it's beautiful. Um, that was the only thing that slightly detracted for mm. me. But please, see this film on a big screen. They're not kidding about that last shot. It is breathtaking. Arga is now screening exclusively at Cinema Nova. You've been listening to Plato's Cave on 3 R with Sally Christie, Emma Wedwood, and Wedwood, <laughs> Emma Westwood, and myself. Paul Anthony Nelson on tonight's show (laughs) after that
2: Emma Westwood or Edward
1: Emma (laughs) Westwood. on tonight's show we discussed uh, The Night Eats the World which is currently screening at the Cinema Nova and will be beginning uh, doing a short season at the Pivotonian Cinema in Geelong in a few weeks Um, Arga which is currently screening at Cinema Nova and Spider Baby which is now screening on Amazon Prime you can listen back to the show uh, within half an hour on Triple R on Demand or Check out the songs and films we played on the Plato's Cave page at R.org.au right now. You can also subscribe to the Plato's Cave podcast via iTunes or wherever else you find your podcasts. Next week, we'll be digging into Mike Lee's Peterloo, John, Wick's para- John Wick 3 Parabellum, and our retro title, Daughters of the Dust. Thank you to Faith Everard for editing the podcast, Carl Chapman for panelling, panelling the show. It's good night from us.